Spider-Man and Alpha Flight. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Marvel Team Up Annual Number 7, starring Spider Man and Alpha Flight. Woohoo! Yeah, cover dated 1984. And Shag, this isn't just the first episode of this show, it's also Canada Day. Yes! It couldn't get any better than celebrating with my favorite Canucks. <laughs> and by that, I mean Alpha Flight, not you and your weird menagerie of ladies. I'll treat myself to some fireworks tonight. And you have to wait like a three more days. That's true. That's true. First episode of Fire and Water, Team Up. And this this is all about teaming up with other podcasters to talk about actual, you know, superhero team-ups. How do you feel about being the first in line? I'm very excited about that. I, I think it's a little bit of happenstance with Canada Day happening when it did. However, I think it may also have a little something to do with, I don't know, you've had this brewing in the back of your mind that you were going to launch this in a couple of years, and somebody, I don't know, somebody intelligent and smart and suave and attractive and handsome sort of pushed you along, wouldn't you think? Was it Rob Kelly? Oh! oh curses! Well, in each episode of Fire and Water Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So in this case, Shag, who's your pick? Uh, I'm not picking a character, I'm picking a team. Oh! I'm picking Alpha Flight. And so I will take Spider-Man. As is customary, we'll preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character or characters we've chosen. Shag, because you have a love for these characters, where does your love of Canada's premier super team, Alpha Flight, actually stem from? But, well, first off, stepping back a bit, you know, this is the whole defense section or the reason. I mean, do I really need a reason or a defense? Because it really boils down to three words. Because they're awesome. That's why Alpha Flight's my favorite. <laughs> so when I first got into comics, this is like back in the Dark Ages, uh, my friends were already reading Alpha Flight, and they would regale me with these amazing tales of the comics. Now, I didn't start following the book until much later, but by then, sort of in my mind, it had taken on like a legendary status. And John Byrne wrote and drew the first two years. And I mean, come on, that should be a good enough reason to celebrate the team anyway. Byrne in the 1980s could do no wrong. And for me, they were, they were always sort of like a, a secondhand Avengers or X-Men, you know? It was, it was a very carefully crafted team from, a, from that 1980s golden formula, you know? They all had different types of power sets, and they were from different cultures and things like that. But best of all, it was a themed team. And I am a sucker for a themed team. Each member was based on some aspect of, that's right, you guessed it, Canada. And what better way to celebrate Canada Day when, than with Alpha Flight? So check this out. Here, let me run through the characters real quick. Guardian or Vindicator. He actually wears the freaking Canadian flag, dude. It's a great costume. It really is. It looks great, both in uh, the regular version and the alternate color version they wear. And Shaman, you know, he's part of the North American Indian culture. I guess up there you guys call him First Nations. Is that right? Mm -hmm. You've got Sasquatch, who ties in all the Bigfoot legends. You've got North Star and Aurora, which are quite literally the northern lights you got snowbird who sort of represents the canadian wilderness and nature and all the animals you got marina which has you know she represents the canadian connection to the coast and the oceans and then you got puck he's a freaking hockey puck it's hilarious <laughs> i love this yes not named after the shakespeare character no, for a long time i thought it was and then i realized oh no this is right on the nose folks <laughs> 
And uh, when I finally started collecting the book, it was around 1990, and I went on this huge back-issue quest uh, to buy them all, and I, I'm still a huge fan of, the, of Alpha Flight today. Even recently, I acquired seven Alpha Flight action figures from the 90s. Uh, I got two mini-busts, including Sasquatch and Shaman, and I'm also reading the Captain Marvel book that features Alpha Flight, where they're uh, out there part, as part of the space program. Wow. I have a similar origin with the characters. Uh, I mean, the first issue I ever bought was uh, number 12. Oh, jeez. Jumping in the deep end there. Yeah, Guardian's uh, death. And uh, sorry about the spoiler, folks. But, um, <laughs> but you know, this was exactly the time when Alpha Flight sort of, I don't know if they were like trying to make a splash with them, especially with that big storyline where Guardian does die, because they sort of appeared in a number of comics like, within a couple months of that issue. You know, it's one of the few ROM Space Knight issues I bought had Alpha Flight in them. Uh, which was right after this, and Marvel Team-Up Annual number seven. This very issue came out just a couple months after Guardian's death. See, I, I thought you were going to mention Crystar, Saga of the Crystal Warrior, as one of the comics you bought with Alpha Flight. W- was Alpha Flight in Crystar? Yes, they were, believe it or not. They were in the last issue. It's crazy. I just found this out myself a couple weeks ago. Well, back to the back issue bins. We, we've got to find those issues. Exactly. You know, Alpha Flight was sort of, uh, it was probably because of Burn becoming some sort of sensation during this this period. So uh, appearing in a lot of books. So it's basically I bought like one issue of Alpha Flight and suddenly they were in every comic. And I was glad for it. Well, I'm just curious, as a Canadian, or was this when you were in Texas? I only spent summers in Texas. Okay. So, so as as a Canadian, did you feel like a special connection to the team? Or did you feel like a, it was a terrible misrepresentation? Like, what was your feelings towards it as a Canadian? Uh, it's the sort of thing where, you know, any representation is better than none at all. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, I mean, as a 12, 13, 14 year old, I wasn't really thinking about those issues. Uh, you know, there were Canadians. I was happy to have a Canadian team. They were the only ones. You know, I just you identified with them just because you're from their country, even though none of them came from my region. None of them ever have. Through all the rosters of all the teams that Alpha Flight has ever been, no Alphan has ever been from New Brunswick. <sighs> and the only two French speakers in the group are kind of assholes, let's say it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so you're not lying it, there because i've often wondered what it would be like as a canadian because like you know it'd be sort of like if in every comic i ever read folks of the united states were represented as like mike w Barr's force of july or something like that you know it's like I, mm-hmm. I don't know how i'd feel if that was the only representation of my country yeah they were all nationalist heroes like everybody was captain america Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is part of the game, but the, the comic went on so long that it had so many permutations and different characters that it didn't stay just this original grouping, which was very nationalist. And we say nationalist, but John Byrne was raised in Alberta, so he has a, you know, a limited view of what Canada is. As do I, because it's such a large country with so many different realities. You know, you call America a melting pot. We call Canada a mosaic, a quilt. You know, it's all sorts of cultures side by side, not trying to to merge into one, but to respect one another. Each patch respects each other patch, hopefully. Mm. Maybe that's what's behind the the idea that we are so polite, apparently. But 
<laughs> I can vouch that you are not, sir. <laughs> and I don't think this issue of Alpha Flight shows them as being especially polite. <laughs> oh my god. Characters. Well, let's save that for the issue, but holy yeah. moly. You know, so it's that kind of thing where you're just happy to have a Canadian team, even though perhaps they are stereotypes. For myself, I've gotta you know, I've gotta pick something that I like about Spider Man. And since Spider Man will be on the show frequently, it's not just about Marvel Team Up. But Marvel Team-Up will show up regularly, and Spider-Man will as well. So I pick one aspect that perhaps is part of this story or era, and that's um, it's the black costume. Mm. I'll go right out and say I, I like the black costume. Sure, eventually it becomes a problem. Venom becomes a problem, let's say. Right. But early on, design-wise, this is this is pretty early because he he's wearing the symbiote, but he doesn't know the deleterious effects. It's not grafted to his skin yet. It's not right. trying to stay on him. I mean, design-wise, it's like, let's break the mold here and just, what can we cut out of the Spider-Man costume, which is pretty busy when you think about it. You know, it's immediately, it's Spider-Man anyway. You know, there's no... There's no question this is Spider-Man, even though we've taken out a lot of the lines, we've changed the colors. It's stark, it's very designy, and this whole era where he has Black Cat as a partner slash lover, I mean, it's the black costume is sort of a slinky, sexy Spider-Man-Black Cat duo going on there. That was part of my early Spider-Man reading experience, and I, you know, I really love it. I like to sing its praises. I feel the same way. Um, when I first started reading comic books was when Secret Wars just hit the shelves. I'm going to talk a little about that in just a second, but the black costume had just been introduced. You know, I mean, I, I think I was only a month or two uh, past when the first appearance of the black costume, so it was so exciting for me. I, I've always thought the design looks great. I've, in fact, I've had a black costume Spider-Man action figure hanging on my wall next to my desk for... Oh, gosh, I didn't even want to think about it. Probably since the, the 90s. It's, mm. uh, I, I absolutely love that costume. It's so sleek. I, I still wish I had my old Secret Wars uh, action figure of Spider-Man in the black costume because it looked awesome. He hadn't even gotten it in Secret Wars yet. We're like a couple months away as of this issue before he, he gets it. But, yeah. Yeah, there's that weird timeline. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. Secret Wars number one comes out and then black costume Spider-Man appears in modern day. Because pretty much the way it works with Secret Wars is they leave at the end of one issue and they come back the next. So he had the, co he had the black costume for like eight months before it ever ended up appearing in Secret Wars. In fact, by the right. time it appears in Secret Wars, he's almost getting rid of it. It's, it's crazy on the timeline. Let's talk about the publication history here, because this is the first time we tackle Marvel Team-Up on the show. Let's give the folks at home a few details on the series. Uh, so from March 1972 through February 1985, it's a long-running series, Spider-Man teamed up with other Marvel characters in 150 issues and seven annuals, or almost, since the Human Torch was actually the main star in six of those issues, and the Hulk in four, and Aunt May in one. <laughs> Uh, it was the first major ongoing spin-off series for Spider-Man, unless you count the spectacular Spider-Man magazine. When it was sadly cancelled, it was replaced by Web of Spider-Man. Win or lose on this? I think it's a loss for me. You know, I've never read enough of it. Like, as, What I always hear is that Web of Spider-Man was never as good as issue number one, is what I always hear. And I own the essential of Web of Spider-Man, but I've just never cracked it open. I wasn't a diehard enough Spider-Man reader at this mm. time. Well, regardless of the quality, because I did read it, it was, it just, you had Amazing, you had Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and you had Web of Spider-Man. It's just like three ordinary Spider-Man titles. While 
Marvel team up had something special going because you had yeah. all those team ups, all those other characters, all those guest stars. Anyway, uh, there would be a second series published in 97, 98, which features Spidey in uh, team ups for eight issues and Namor team ups for the remaining three. But before that, a quarterly called Spider-Man team up filled the same niche from 95 to 97. Another Marvel team-up saw the light of day in 2005, the spirit of which was carried on in such titles as Avenging Spider-Man and Superior Spider-Man team-up. So Spider-Man is a a frequent team-upper in the Marvel Universe. And I think that 2005 series, I think that might have been um, headlined by Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead fame, if I remember right. It was. You're right. So now for me, and I've been sort of holding this back, letting dribs and drives come out here, but for me, Marvel Team-Up holds a very special place in my heart. I started collecting this series off the newsstand with issue 140, which was a team-up with Black Widow. It's got this great iconic red cover and the, the spidey lights beaming on her. Anyway, this issue ends with Spider-Man being whisked off to the Secret Wars. And uh, so I bought this issue the same month I bought my very first comic as a collector. Uh, that was Secret Wars issue number two. And I'd gotten random comics as a kid, but this was the first month I ever decided that I was going to be collecting comics with the intention of being a collector. And Secret Wars was just that formative for me. It turned me into a comic book collector. And Marvel Team-Up was my jam right from the beginning, man. Marvel Team-Up was how I read about the introduction of Spider-Man's black costume, because I bought issue 140, as I mentioned, with Black Widow. I bought the next issue, 141, which is where he comes bursting out out of the little building in in Central Park wearing the black costume. That's how I learned about it. That was my exposure to it. And Marvel Team-Up was my Spider-Man comic. I wasn't reading Amazing, I wasn't reading Spectacular, and I didn't read Web, because Marvel Team-Up was my Spider-Man comic. And really, because of the team-up nature, it was a gateway to the rest of the Marvel Universe. And, you know, back then I owned some issues, and then since then I picked up uh, a few volumes of the essential Marvel Team-Up, which I have just enjoyed the heck out of reading. I gotta tell you, uh, Basilisks and Stegron, they're like my favorites. And as you read more Marvel Team-Ups, you'll figure out what I'm talking about there. And uh, I've read countless of issues on the Marvel Unlimited digital app, which is a joy. Like, all those John Byrne and Chris Claremont issues of Marvel Team Up, oh, they're so good. Anyway, I love this series, and it truly brings me joy, and thank you so much for letting me be part of this, and I am going to try and push my way into as many Marvel Team Up episodes of this show as I can. It's true, folks. Uh, Shag's pretty much put his name down on every single issue of that series. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as far as I know, (laughs) you might well end up covering them all. The guest, and I'm just a quiet guy in the background. Well, quiet's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, guy quiet. in the background mm. who defends, I don't know, J. Jonah Jameson, because you guys have got the main characters. I don't care. I just want to be part of it. <laughs> uh, sure. We'll also be covering, you know, Brave and the Bold and uh, uh, Marvel 2 and 1 and, uh, you know, DC Comics Presents and all sorts of other team-ups. So it won't be like a full-time job for you. <laughs> Now, Spider-Man, as far as publication history, needs no introduction. Let's talk about Alpha Flight's publication history. You want to take this one? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Guardian, originally he was called Vindicator, but he first appeared in the all-new, all-different X-Men number 109, which was in November 1977. So he, in fact, beat Firestorm to the the publication stands by three weeks. So Firestorm's first appearance was three weeks later. Well done, Guardian. Um, So Guardian was working for this Canadian government, and his intention was, when he showed up, was to bring Wolverine back to the Canada. And, uh, you know, there was fun issue there. And then Guardian returns again in Uncanny X-Men number 120, which was on the shelves in January 1979. Now, this time, Guardian brought along some friends by the name of Alpha Flight. So that is their first introduction. Alpha Flight then kicked around the Marvel Universe, making lots of guest appearances for about another four years, even in some team-up books, such as Marvel 2-in-1. Then in 1983, it all 
happened. Alpha Flight Volume 1 began. And John Byrne was the writer and the artist for the first two years. Now, well, uh, John Byrne was actually born British. As you mentioned, he grew up in Canada. And rumor is that Marvel wanted an Alpha Flight book, but John Byrne didn't really want to do another team book. I mean, think about it. He was just doing Fantastic Four for ages. Eventually, he agreed. But if you look at those early issues, it really isn't a team book. It's a series of solo character adventures that just happen to star individual Alpha Flight team members. It's really not till much, much later till you start seeing them as a team more and more often. Original series ran 130 issues and ended in 1994. There are a lot of well-known creators on the series. Uh, John Byrne, we mentioned. Uh, Bill Mantlo, Mike Mignola, Will Sportaccio, Jim Lee, Fabian Nizieza. I can't say his name. Michael Baer, Scott Lobdell, Pat Broderick, and a whole bunch more. And Byrne's contributions were undeniably the high point of the series. And believe me, there were really some low, low points later oh, yeah. on in that series. I mean, stuff that's unreadable. Now, Alpha Flight Volume 2 ran for 20 issues, and that was 1997 and 1999. It was written by Steven Siegel. I actually rather like this series quite a bit. And one of the more surprising facts about this run, a lot of people don't know this, is that the superhero team and movie sensation Big Hero 6, yeah, I said Big Hero 6, the Disney thing, they were originally intended to first appear in Alpha Flight number 17 of this volume, too. Due to scheduling problems, though, instead they debuted in their own miniseries alongside of uh, an Alpha Flight team member at the time, Sunfire. How crazy is that? What's crazy is that Sunfire is not Canadian. I know, I know. That's crazy, too. (laughs) (laughs) But it it made sense. So Alpha Flight Volume 3 then ran for 12 issues. That was 2004 to 2005. It's written by Scott Lobdell, and they introduced a whole bunch of new characters. That one's a little little odd. Easy to find the trade paperbacks, though. And then later on, the original Alpha Flight team members were slaughtered in an issue of New Avengers. Curse you, Bendis! And uh, then in 2007, a new miniseries spun out of Civil War and the Initiative was introducing a new Omega flight. And this five-issue limited series was written by Michael Oming with art by Scott Collins. It was a very different take on the team, but it was pretty interesting, and Scott Collins' art was great. Then in 2011, the original Alpha Flight team was resurrected and received a miniseries spinning out of some such crossover, because, you know, because comics. And that miniseries ran for nine issues. Well, technically it's eight issues and a .1 issue, whatever. It was written by Greg Pak and Fred Venlente with art by Dale Eaglesham. It was gorgeous. And this was a wonderful return to the iconic version of the team. That's really their their last main appearance, or at least where they headline themselves. And then more recently, they've been appearing as part of the space program, helping Captain Marvel defend the Earth in Captain Marvel's monthly book. I have yet to read that, but I love that 2011 series. Uh, Eagles, so good. Yeah, Eaglesham's wife is a Quebecer, so all the French was really well translated. Oh, cool. As opposed to what was written in the original series. That was a plus for me, but it felt very much more like in tune with uh, the politics in Canada and all that. They were really, really trying. I read a lot of interviews with them at the time. They were really, really trying to do that. And uh, also, I want to say that that's the first time Marina's ever been used that, uh, in a story that wasn't about the Plodexes. <laughs> Yeah, she had like a more of a punk rocker personality. I liked it. She did, but either way, she was there at least. <laughs> Let's get into this issue, Shag. Woohoo! Marvel Team Up Annual number seven, The Collected Spider-Man, by writer Louise Simonson, penciler Paul Neary, inker Sam De La Rosa, letterer John Rosen, colorist Christy Scheel, as edited by Danny Fingeroth, cover by Neary and John Byrne. After some difficulty selling the same old pics of Spider-Man to Robbie I'm Not Jonah Robertson, who encourages him to snap other heroes, Peter Parker goes to the roof of the Daily Bugle, switches to the Black Symbiote costume, and swings around town with his girlfriend, the Black Cat. Off the coast of North America, 
The elder of the universe known as the Collector is seeking the rare alien called a Plodex. His readings hint might exist on Earth. Might as well check for other rarities. Hmm, a warlock? Not worth the trouble. A cloud being? Too naked. <laughs> a dire wraith? Have him already. Symbiote Spider-Man? Cool! The Collector takes out his genie lamp and summons a four-headed djinn who promptly brings Spider-Man to his craft and tosses him inside a giant clamshell. <laughs> Which must have been a reject from Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, anyway, the same djinn reaches across the world into the Atlantic Ocean and grabs Marina, who at this point was an estranged member of the Alpha Flight team. She's transported to the Collector's ship, and next is a scene that kind of suggests that Louise Simonson might have done a little too much LDS at Berkeley in the 1960s. The Collector summons a hypnotic snake to subdue Marina, but then uses other animals in weird ways to protect himself from the hypnotic trance. It's totally bizarre. Case in point, I get to say this sentence, Spidey escapes the clam. Then meanwhile, off the eastern coast of Canada, the remnants of the Alpha Flight team are responding to Marina's distress beacon. And I say remnants because the team is in total chaos. Their leader, Guardian, just died about two months ago, at least publication time. In story time, it was very, very recent. Their sorcerer, Shaman, has stayed behind to support Guardian's widow. And the shape-changing Snowbird also stayed behind because she's powerless when she leaves Canada. That leaves us with Sasquatch, Puck, Northstar, and Aurora. This is a complete misfit crew with tons of emotional baggage. I mean, Sasquatch is struggling to control this raging beast inside of him, and he's losing control more and more every day. Northstar is resentful of Sasquatch's relationship with his sister, and Aurora is still battling for control with her split personalities. Even with all this emotional turmoil, our heroes quickly track down Marin's location. Spider-Man tries to jump the Collector, now floating on a magic carpet, but it's too quick. The clam rises on creepy alien legs, but Spidey gunks it shut with web fluid. He next grabs the lamp and tries to extort wishes from the genie, but he, they are still asleep. As Spidey grabs Marina from Jin's hand, the collector releases Venusian shock flies that eat through his webbing and prevent his escape. They form a force field that paralyzes him. Now, as Alpha Flight infiltrates the Collector's ship, we learn through flashbacks all about the Plodex species, and uh, that's Marina species, and their instinctive drive to conquer planets. Spider-Man asks the Collector, why him, though? He's no Plodex. The Collector tells him he's in fact a double prize, but Peter doesn't get it. The Alpha Flight team barges in to rescue Marina, and now they've decided to rescue Spider-Man as well. And they're all attacked by a group of flying boxes. Yes, that's what I said, boxes. When they're cleverly called boxers. Uh, and these are designed to entrap their opponents. The webhead warns Alpha not to touch the shock flies surrounding him, while the Collector puts on Ethereum-made armor. And here, Alpha Flight's dysfunctionality really starts to shine through. Northstar decides to take this opportunity to anger Sasquatch, his sister's boyfriend. This is to demonstrate that Sasquatch is losing control of his bestial side, which Northstar hopes will drive Aurora away from Sasquatch. Well, the gimmick works, and now Sasquatch is acting nearly as savage as the Hulk. Now, between this battle and Sasquatch's rage, debris is raining down everywhere, and in the confusion, Aurora is captured by one of the boxers. The debris from the boxers smashes the force field and releases Spider-Man. But even as he leaps to save Aurora, Aurora's claustrophobia kicks in way into high gear, and she retreats into her Jean-Marie personality. The Collector starts to toot his horn again, and Spider-Man recognizes the tune. 
He's going to waken Snake Eyes. Spidey leaps at the collector and manages to knock the horn from his hand, smashing it. But you know the famous Parker Luck. Snake Eyes was already awake, and now there's nothing that can control the giant cobra. Spider-Man quickly covers its eyes with webs, and spasming, the snake starts to destroy everything in sight. The collector is appalled and uses his temporal transporter to jump ahead a few pages. Spider-Man next smashes the boxer holding Aurora captive. Now it's about this time that Puck finally manages to free Marina. Unfortunately, also released are several of the collector's other species, specifically other members of the Savage Plodex race. Spidey's having trouble with Aurora, though. See, Aurora's split personality, that of the poor downtrodden Jean-Marie, battles to free herself from Spidey. Northstar gets in on the act and demands that Spidey hand over Aurora. Outraged at how much soap opera Alpha Flight generates, Spider-Man calls Northstar out before heading to Marina and Puck, who need help against the Plodex Zoo. We get several more pages of the battle, and our heroes are battling against the Armored Collector, the escaped Plodex creatures, and even more monsters, and the Sasquatch is fighting his own teammate, Northstar. Declaring the ship a lost cause, the Collector prepares to use his transporter once more and bail. Spider-Man's too busy with a Plodex to do anything. Puck! Puck bounces into action, destroying the Collector's temporal transporter. I wish I had one of those. Good job. Spidey webs up the Collector as the ship tips into the ocean violently and starts to take in water. And Marina creates a massive water spout to trap her fellow Plodex creatures. She finally did something useful. About this time, the defeated Collector explains to our heroes his supposed reasons for doing all this, which tie into Walt Simonson's Thor issues, Convenient that, considering Louise is married to uh, Walt. But anyway, uh, so Collector explains all this, that he's assembling this collection of interstellar beings, essentially a cosmic Noah's Ark. Our heroes agree that Earth would be safer without these creatures here on the planet, so they want to send them far, far away. So the good guys help the Collector repair his ship so he can leave, and make him promise never to return. The Collector's ship leaves our planet, while our heroes share a friendly farewell. Aurora flies Sasquatch back to Canada, while Northstar and Puck make a pit stop to drop off Spidey. And sad, sad Marina swims away, fearing that someday she may be as deadly as her Plodex counterparts. Spider-Man is back in New York where he finds Black Cat huddling alone and afraid for her man on the couch. Having checked on her, he kisses her goodbye and goes home to rest. As he lies in bed, Peter realizes he forgot to take pictures. Oh, poor Peter. And that is the collected Spider-Man. What did you think? I enjoyed this issue. Now, I I mentioned to you earlier that I started with uh, Marvel Team-Up number 140. This is only six months after I started collecting Marvel Team-Up. So this is this is right at my wheelhouse. I mean, it's the black costume that's still the symbiote version. It's the it's that writing, that style, everything. So this is right in right in the stuff I love. But oddly enough, I didn't get this issue when it came out. I guess my the convenience store I bought comics, I just didn't get the annual. So I think I've read it before. I can't promise you I have. But uh, reading it this time, it felt very fresh and was very exciting. And there is a lot of wackiness in here, though. Like the collector's use of these weird animals and stuff, pretty out there for me. In some ways, it like. Uh, I don't know, it's very very trippy, the way he uses the aliens, their na- native abilities, almost as weapons. It, it felt almost like, this is an obscure reference, I suppose, but it felt very sort of Yuzhan Vong from the Star Wars New Jedi Order books. I don't know if you're familiar with what I'm talking about or not. <laughs> I'm not, but I'll, I'll make like I am. Ah, yes. <laughs> what about you? What would you think of it? Well, I mean, for the collector, it's a character I enjoy because I, you know, one of my first issues of the Avengers, he tries to collect all the Avengers like they're action figures, and he leaves Hawkeye for the end, and uh, because he's easy to beat or he's easy to catch, and Hawkeye winds up defeating him, which you know, I've always loved that issue. In this, uh, the collector is—I don't know. 
it's like Louise has given him a theme for his collections. So it's very much, you know, a thousand and one nights with yeah. flying carpets and there's just sort of a Middle Eastern theme to it. Uh, where he's charming snakes or giant snakes, but you know all that stuff and the, like the monkeys that see no evil or hear no evil. She really went out there. It's like, well, he, he's collected all sorts of strange miscellanea over the eons, and so why not? Why not any of this stuff, which may seem like magic, but it's probably super science, you know? Or it could be magic because I mean, the Marvel universe has magic. Well, doesn't he even name check Alibaba in the story, if I remember right? All of that stuff is very strange, but you know, it gives the the collector could easily be just this very random assortment of gadgets, and he is. But uh, Louis Simonson gives him a a theme which brings the issue together, I guess. It also has a more physical role than you'd expect with that, like, uh, super armor that he wears. As he gets a lot more physical than, than he normally might. Yeah, so I'm sitting here thinking about, like, imagine this version of, of this story. Imagine it in the style of, um, I can't remember, the actor who played the Collector in Guardians of the Galaxy. Del Toro. Yes, thank you. Imagine him in this role with the flutes and the weird monkey. Like, believe it or not, I can actually picture him playing this role. The, all the creepy, weird stuff that happens in here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'd be great. Yes. You know, when do we get an Alpha Flight movie? Oh. Is the real question, right? All right, so here's the argument that, that happens. Does the Alpha Flight, who, who owns it? Is, uh, or who, is it Fox? Because it's ooh. part of the X-Men universe, because it came out of X-Men, and Wolverine was a founding member. Or, considering that is the only touch point to X-Men, is it a Marvel Universe thing? I think, unfortunately, the answer is it fits with the Fox group. In fact, at one point, there was talk about potential films, and one was called X-Flight. Which could have been that, yeah. Oh, well. Speaking of Alpha Flight, now, like, page eight is just this one big fat setup for all of Alpha Flight's internal problems. You know, it talks about Sasquatch's trouble controlling the beast within him and how it's getting worse and worse. You get North Stars. He straight up says he's intending to piss off Sasquatch to win back his sister's love. Crazy! <laughs> you get the warning of Aurora's split personalities, and you get that they all have these really raw emotions left by the recent loss of their leader, Guardian. I mean, it's, they just put it all right. It's, it's very much Marvel in the 80s. It just, there's a huge info dump in, in, in thought balloons about, here's all of our personal strife. You know, blah. And it's very much a, an X-Men thing as well. All the angst and the, all the, these little soap opera subplots. Puck is really the normal guy here. Yes, he is. You know, Puck, he's kind of the guy that references events that have never been shown. Like he talks about missions and like which one during the fight he references like uh, I don't know something in Cuba or something. Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. Now that's very in keeping with the character because you find out as you go along that Puck was almost a man of mystery, like a, almost like a James Bond kind of guy. He's had countless adventures, and they they never really came right out and told you what happened. It just would be indicated that Puck would you know. Puck was in Borneo, or Puck was in Singapore, or, you know, whatever. And he knew people, like, he'd, you know, bump into someone and he knew who they were, or he'd be like, wow, how does he know that guy? And uh, later on, it's not till they, and then, later on, really, it's a retcon. You find out that Puck is actually very, very old, and his body's just been transformed by having this thing inside of him. But uh, it's, it's, it's a great character. He's really is the, sort of, almost the, I don't want to say the heart and soul, but he's almost the rock of Alpha Flight, you know, the, the emotional rock of the team. He's a little bit like he's the robot man or he's the he's the thing. He's, he's like the normal Joe inside this team and yeah. more of a more reactive to 
their drama. But at the same time, I mean, I, I you know, I'd read a untold stories of Puck comic book where we find out about all this crazy stuff that he's done. I've got one last note here for, for myself is that bit about the fire giant searcher. Let's pronounce it that way. Okay. From the Thor issue you know, right. on page 30, where in this moment, the collector is collecting all this stuff for the apocalypse. It's usually his motivation. And the current foreseeable apocalypse has to do with the with Simonson's Thor comics. And they just went up and stole Simonson's art here for the fire giant. Oh, do they really? It's not even redrawn, you don't think? Uh, it really looks like his stuff. I mean, I haven't went in and matched the panel, but it just yeah, looks it like this. I mean, look at those knuckles. That is pretty distinctive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think the serpent really is a, a steal from another comic. Well, remember, the writer of this comic was Wheezy, you know, Simonson's wife. So, so why not? It's not a far ask, you know, just kind of roll over and say, honey, can I have a panel? You know, kind of thing. Now, all this gets wrapped up ridiculously quickly. You know, it's fight, 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 fight. Fight, 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 internal strife, internal strife, fight, 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 fight. And then the collector goes, oh, well, I'm planning for the apocalypse. Everyone's like, well, all right, just get off the planet, would you, man? And it's like over in a page. It's like, whoa, that's a quick turnaround. It's like they ran out of pages or something. At the same time, there's a backup here that we won't cover, uh, which has nothing to do with the team up. Uh, so there were extra pages. Yeah. We could have gotten those. The backup was a bit of a uh, little gut-wrenching, you know, but either way. Um so, all right, we're talking about Alpha Flight 2. I, I got to mention this, and, and I sort of talked about it earlier, but seriously, another Plodex story for Marina? Gah! You know, other than that one, you know, Dale Eaglesham miniseries we just talked about, I don't think she ever appeared in the series unless the Plodex thing was like a front and center story. It's ridiculous. She would show up on the team, there'd be a Plodex thing, and then she would leave. She'd be like, oh no, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm going to endanger all my friends, I'm just going to leave, until she comes back for the next stupid Plodex series. In fact, Rob Kelly and I covered uh, a later issue of Alpha Flight on his Mountain Comics miniseries going on in the Firewater Presents. Sure enough, Marina, Plodex story. Yeah, this one, Marina, Plodex story. Guess what's on the shelves right now at the same time as this comic? Alpha Flight number 14 and 15. You'll never guess. Marina appears. What do you think the story's about? Plodex? Oh, look at you. You win the Cupid doll. <laughs> Man, just get over it. She's the character that wasn't in the team when they showed up in uh, in X-Men. Correct. She was, you know, she's new as of Alpha Flight number one. Same as Puck. And yet Puck is much, a much better character. <laughs> And Marina is all the Plodex stuff is revealed in uh, Alpha Number Four uh, with the Master and all that. So that same same story that we see in flashback here was told in Number Four, and by you know a year later we're still dealing with that stuff. And I guess we're still dealing with that stuff several years later. Yeah. You know I don't think Byrne really put in the time to create like this character was just a plot device. Right. Or a plod device. It's a shame because you need a plot device. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, Namor, Aquaman, all water-based characters that you can find things to do with. So these characters certainly could have been used in stories that were not Plodex related. Ugh. But let's talk about something else that brings me joy, which is the black cat. Mm. Um, boy. Spider. I, I would say, I was about to say Peter Parker, but no, she's very specific that uh, she loves Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. She is smoking hot. And she is, forgive me folks, this is out of the comic. She is a sexually charged character. And uh, I don't even understand why Spider-Man ever left his apartment. I'm just saying. Um, 
Wow, that's a wild relationship there. I loved it. I think it was very much the focus of the um, Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man series. They most explored it in that book rather than, I mean, it's here in Marvel Team Up and I'm sure it wasn't amazing. But Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man was the place where they were most together, uh, as I seem to remember, which is ironic because Peter Parker is actually in the title of that one. <laughs> she hates That's hates true. Peter Parker. She hates the drama and she hates the the loser. The, she hates all that little worldly stuff that Aunt May and the job and the, she sees no value in any of that. Which I wow. thought was like a, a very refreshing idea for a romance. Yeah, it's really quite interesting. That's about all I've got on this book. Other than it was a lot of fun to read, and as I said, I'm not 100 percent sure I've read it before, so I'm really thrilled with the opportunity to read it. Discovering a new Alpha Flight story for you, possibly. Oh, dude, it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> then who fared better now every episode we'll have a small debate touching on various topics to see who fared better in the team up spider-man or alpha flight in this case so generally shag who fared better and, and you should be defending alpha flight <laughs> you're right i should be defending alpha flight <laughs> sadly however as far as who fared better, I have to give this to Spider-Man. I don't have a choice. I mean, even though I love Alpha Flight, I truly do. They were so busy fighting themselves in this comic book that they could barely fight the bad guys. I mean, North Star and Sasquatch, come on. It's ridiculous. And, and at the same time, and I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to be defending Spider-Man here, Spider-Man does a whole lot of watching. I mean, he's, he's a witness to a lot of this stuff, but he's trapped in a clamshell, then he's trapped in, <laughs> in a force field, and then he's trapped uh, between North Star and Aurora's uh, problems. Uh, he, he seems to be looking on a lot. So I, I didn't think he necessarily fared much better than Alpha Flight. So maybe it's a, it's a tough day for all of them. Well, that, that sort of leads us to the next one as far as um, how well it fits in with, you know, the, their continuity. And I would say that, you know, sort of springboarding off what you just said with Spider-Man watching, I mean, this is definitely an Alpha Flight story. I mean, it feels like an Alpha Flight story. It's Plodex generated. You know, their team is all throughout it. As you said, Spider-Man does a lot of watching. So it is an Alpha Flight story that happens to feature Spider-Man. Uh, again, but I just think Spider-Man came out looking better. Uh, well, it's not in Canada. That's one of the things. I mean, it's supposed to be off the coastal water or whatever it mean. It's not in the Canadian territory because Snowbird is said not to be able to go there. Right. So, in other words, it's in international waters where this happens. So it's not in Canada. I agree that it is mostly a... It seems to be an Alpha Flight story. The collector is there to get Marina, who is an Alphan. Uh, and, um, but at the same time, he picks up Spider-Man. I, I like the idea that he wants... He wants Spider-Man, but he wants a symbiote costume as well. He realizes, and I guess even Louise uh, Simonson knew that this was something more interesting than it appeared, you know, even though the, the storyline hadn't really gelled yet. I love that aspect of it because you know, Spider-Man has no clue that the collector's hinting about his costume and us as readers have the, you know, the foresight or the hindsight to go, oh, that's cool. That's neat. That's a neat, neat Easter egg. By the way, also, I forgot to mention as far as how well this fits, one thing we haven't talked about at all is Paul Neary's artwork. This comic is beautifully rendered and Alpha Flight is so perfectly on model, uh, which is really quite astounding because quite often when Alpha Flight would appear in other books, it really wouldn't look right especially in that period between uh, their first appearance in X-Men and number one, like the, the Marvel 2-in-1. Oh my gosh, the artwork's atrocious. But here, everybody is really, really, really on point. Like, I forget that I'm not reading a... I mean, it, 
it's clearly not John Byrne, but I clearly forget that I'm not reading something from that style. It's uh, It looks great. Spider-Man looks great. The whole thing's just a beautiful comic. That's true. And if it is a Spider-Man comic, then it's then the collector, you know, picks him up first. And he's also collecting Spider-Man. So I think it's, I mean, in the spirit of a team-up book, it is about both. And I think both find their place in it. So it's as much a Spider-Man comic guest starring Alpha Flight as it is an Alpha Flight comic guest starring Spider-Man. If you want to keep telling yourself that because it helps you sleep at night or something, that's fine. But it's clearly an Alpha Flight comic. It's not fair. There's just there are so many of them. Obviously, it's like five against one. <laughs> They're all fighting each other. <laughs> let's talk cool moves. All right, let's do it. Who had the coolest moves? Alpha Flight or Spider-Man? Oh, I love... Al- well, specifically, Sasquatch had that awesome move where he grabbed the hypnotic snake and started swinging her around, smashing the other creatures. I thought that was pretty awesome. And Marina had that water spout she created, which stopped the other Plodex from leaving the ship. I thought both of those were pretty cool moves. Yeah, I guess Spider-Man slaps this flute out of... <laughs> Out of the collector's hand. That's Ooh. not a... Okay, I, I give it to Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight had many more powers to bring to bear, and but they did have the coolest moves. Who had the dumbest or weirdest moves? I would say Sasquatch. Grabbing that hypnotic snake and swinging <laughs> it around is not only a cool move, it's really a stupid move. Because it ends up damaging the ship and smashing it all up. And then even worse, I mean, Northstar was a complete douchebag. I mean, everything he did, trying to piss off Sasquatch, just endangered everybody. So I think I think Northstar wins the award for being the total bonehead of the issue. Or of the series, of the team. I mean... But uh, Spider-Man, if I'm going to you know, try to find a dumb move for Spider-Man, he does forget to take pictures of Alpha Flight and of the Collector and the Plodex and all of this stuff, which yeah. might have actually brought in some money for him. But it's a tie between that and uh, not spending the night at the Black Cats. <laughs> he goes to check on her and goes to bed alone. That is definitely a bonehead <laughs> move. What are you doing? What are you doing? I guess he wants some rest. <laughs> Finally, there's something, uh, and you called it earlier, the Friendly Farewell. And this is a team-up tradition that I sort of picked up from a blog called the uh, Comic Treadmill. Obviously a reference to the Cosmic Treadmill, where they were looking at Brave and the Bold and uh, looking at that last panel where Batman, in that series, Batman would say goodbye to whoever, and they called it the Friendly Farewell. But I find that in the Marvel issues... They're very much, you know, in a Marvel team-up, they're less friendly than in a DC (laughs) team-up. So we're going to track this here as well. Kind of who wins the social game in this final farewell? I guess it depends on how you rate it. Spider-Man was certainly more polite, but Northstar had to go to a lot of effort. What happened in this one was Northstar and Puck flew Spider-Man back to New York. But poor Spider-Man, he had to sort of like dangle there the whole way, very awkwardly hanging off of Northstar's arms. Uh, and they didn't, he sort of like just chucked Spider-Man onto a building. As I don't think there was a big high five moment or anything like that. So I would chalk this up as very quick. And Spider-Man going, it's been fun, and then thinking sort of. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's a sort of an ambivalent goodbye. And I, I, when your ride back home is Northstar, the worst of the jerks, you know? He could have gotten back to New York with Aurora. Right. (laughs) Spider-Man loses this one, I think. The friendly farewell is not so friendly, but it's not unfriendly in this case. Yeah, it's not hostile. It's just, you know, not very, like, slapping high fives. At least he got a ride. Let's say that. All right. We'll take a break for a couple of promos, folks, and then we'll be back uh, to wrap things up. 
Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. The bite of a gamma-irradiated wolf spider granted Canadian high school student Peter Lankowski incredible powers. At will, Peter can transform into a super-strong, red-and-blue-haired beast resembling the legendary Sasquatch, but with four additional spider-like legs protruding from his back. He is the amazing Spider-Squatch. After making his heroic debut, tragedy struck. A burglar killed his Uncle Mac, the friendly neighborhood barber. From that moment forward, Peter vowed to use his abilities to protect his fellow man, driven by his uncle's words. With great fur comes great personal grooming. He's amazing. He's spectacular. He's sensational. He's web of. He's Spider Squatch. Four number one issues coming this fall only from Amalgam Comics. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way. Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? And we're back. One final feature, Shag, the bonus team-up. Ooh. In which each of us proposes the perfect Alpha Flight team-up. All right. I'll go first, because it's in the script. <laughs> I propose a team-up between Alpha Flight and the original Defenders. Now, I, I don't think their timeline overlaps, but think about it. As a team, Alpha Flight was barely keeping it together, as was demonstrated in this issue. They were practically tearing themselves apart from the inside. And these guys, you know, they made the X-Men's bickering with one another look like a Norman Rockwell painting. I mean, these guys were barely a team. Then, if you, on the other hand, you look at the original Defenders, they were known as Marvel's non-team. It was all about them not being a team at all. They were, you know, so you put the two most dysfunctional teams together. I think it just makes perfect sense. And you get some really great pairing off. You get Doctor Strange versus Shaman. That's pretty cool. Hulk versus Sasquatch. That's awesome. Namor versus Marina. Eh, it might be a little unbalanced, but still, it's a, it's a water fight. Then you get Silver Surfer versus, well, the rest of the team, I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> but Namor and Marina were a couple 
So yes, they were. And Hulk and Sasquatch fought quite a bit too. I thought you were going to say they were a couple as well. Well, they they may have been. You know, the Gamma Friends. <laughs> Gamma Friends. Right. Um, that's a series. <laughs> so that's my recommendation. What do you got, Siskoid? Okay, mine's a little out there, but it's Alpha Flight and the Rangers. Hmm. This is a personal thing because it's my two stomping grounds that meet. It's Texas and Canada meeting halfway somewhere on Highway 61, maybe. Each following a villain outside of their jurisdiction, you know, so they somehow they meet. So here, too, there are some natural matchups. The Texas Twister and North Star and Aurora, uh, Red Wolf and Shaman, right? Firebird and Snowbird. And it would be written by two people. Myself and Diablo Frank. <laughs> so you, you can just imagine. <laughs> that is really good. That is really good. So we'd each do the voices for each of the our corresponding countries. Now help me out, the Rangers. I see when I think of them, I think of the Rangers team from the Initiative era of Marvel Comics. Where where were they originally appearing in? Oh well, you know they. I, I remember them from uh, some West Coast Avengers, and they appeared all over, but they, they were like very minor characters. Okay, all right. But in the initiative, they were, you know, some of the same characters, but uh, some different ones as well. Now, I failed to come up with a writer and an artist. I didn't think about that. Oh. So uh, I'll, I'll have to back burner that one. I don't, I can't, I'm not good at that off the top of my head, but that, that sh- I failed right out of the gate the first episode. I didn't do my job. Let's still have a friendly farewell, Shag. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, so I'm going to thank you for teaming up with me. Remind people where they can find you. Well, they can find me all over the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, you can find me on the Aquaman and Firestorm show. You can find me on Who's Who. You can find me on Hero Points with my buddy Siskoid. You can find me as uh, the main host of Justice League International, Blah Ha Podcast. You can find me on the Digest cast, which, by the way, very excited. Just recently, the new Marvel Digest were hitting the grocery store shelves, so I'm so excited about that. And um, pretty, you can find me guesting all over the, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And on Facebook and Twitter, under Firestorm fans, quickest way to find me there. Yeah, a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments, and the, the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Cisco, I just want to say thanks so much for letting me be on the inaugural episode of this show. I'm so excited for this team-up show. It's a brilliant concept. It fits so perfectly with the network with just finding your joy and the team-up concept, which is the way our network came together. I'm thrilled. And again, these are some of my favorite Marvel comics right from my favorite era. So I'm just totally I'm floating on cloud nine that I've had an opportunity to be part of this. So thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to all the upcoming episodes. And from day one, you were going to be our Marvel team up guy. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to give that away to anyone else. I think it's because I threatened your life, but that's fair enough. Well, you know, do it for whatever motivation you have. <laughs> See you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort.